Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as we'll be taking a look at that. Um, I, you know, I kept thinking, you know, some people, times we don't see people very often, right? We kind of forget about them, and then we see them and go, oh, yeah, that's right. You know, there's a couple people that I always forget about, and that's Sven and Oli. You guys remember Sven and Oli? Anybody? You guys, oh, yeah, you betcha. <laughs> we know Sven and Oli. And Oli's wife, Lena, right? Yeah, so we haven't, I haven't heard from them or heard about them for quite a while. But so I did a little digging around. Well, it turns out Oli was going to paint his Lutheran church for a weekend. He got hired to do it from the church. And so so he's painting his church and uh, he's got done on the ground floor and it was getting towards later in the afternoon and Saturday. And so he climbed up on the roof. He just had the steeple to do. And then he realized, well, I don't have enough paint to finish the steeple. So he went back down and, and he didn't, you know, he didn't really want to go to the store and spend more money for paint. And so being the, uh, I thought it was Dutch maybe because he's, you know, cheap. But anyways, uh, he decided to add some water. So he thinned out the paint. So he had enough paint, he figured, to finish the, uh, the steeple. And so he climbs back up on the roof and he's painting away on the steeple and he's getting close to being done. As he's doing it, it's getting darker and darker and darker. And all of a sudden there was a, a big boom of thunder, a flash of light, and he heard a voice saying, Oli, Oli, repaint and thin no more. <laughs> All right, I know, don't quit my day job, right? Okay. <laughs> Everything okay? Oh, okay. All right. Hey, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to be looking at verse 35. Paul writes this, But someone will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? And so there's two questions there. How are the dead raised up, of course? And with what body do they come? And I don't know if you ever ask that question or wonder about that, um, but... Paul responds to that, uh, and he says, someone will say this. So in other words, it's a hypothetical question that someone, he's thinking somebody's going to ask, but it's a reasonable assumption because back in verse 12, remember that the whole issue that Paul is dealing with, he says, now if Christ has preached that he had been raised from the dead, how does some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So evidently there were people, you know, in Corinth that, you know, they believe that Jesus died and I guess they believe that he rose again, but they just, they were struggling with the resurrection, maybe their own resurrection. And so Paul is addressing, and so maybe he's assuming that they're going to ask incredulously, well, how are the dead raised up? You know, like, how could it even be possible? And with what body do they come? And so Paul is going to address that question. Verse 36 Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And you're thinking about that. He's talking about seeds, right? What you plant in the ground. It, it, it's not going to be made alive unless you die. Now, if you know about plants, you might say, well, wait a minute. Seeds don't die, right? They don't actually die. But, you know, even Jesus said in John 12, verse 24, he said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. 
So what does that mean that Jesus, you know, didn't understand that seeds don't technically die? Remember, Jesus spoke creation into existence, didn't he? And so, you know, sometimes you have to go, well, we have all these theories, but what does the manufacturer say? It's like going back to the owner's manual. You know, sometimes you, you want to do stuff and you start, I'm notorious for this. I'll start tearing apart something, working, and I'm like, I'm getting stuck. I'm like, well, I guess now I better go to the owner's manual and figure out what I'm really supposed to be doing. And so Jesus obviously knows what he's talking about. And we know that seeds don't physically die. So is it possible that Paul and Jesus is referring to something else? And I think he, they are. Yeah, a seed physically doesn't die. But in a sense, it dies to its old nature and becomes a plant. You know, after it's sown in the ground, the germination process starts. It begins. How does it, what happens? And I'm not an agricultural guy. I'm not a farmer, but I did a little research. Google has everything you want to know about it. <laughs> well, moisture, you know, you plant your seed into the ground there. You see it on the picture there on the far left. And it's got a hard shell. And moisture in the soil and the warmth, there's different factors, but moisture starts to soften that hard outer shell. And the seed starts to fill up with water. And that water activates uh, special proteins in the seed known as enzymes that begin the growth process. And as the seed starts growing, as it's germinating, uh, first of all, the seed grows a root down into the ground and it's to, uh, uh, you know, take up more water. Uh, and then it sends a shoot up towards the surface and it, it, the shoot, you know, the, some leaves start to pop out on it. And uh, it's so that it can ener uh, harvest energy from the sun. That's, that's that growth process in a nutshell. Well, when that germination process is completed, in a sense, that seed has died to its old nature now. It's become a new plant. You can see that. There's no evidence of the seed on the far right there. It's now, it's a new plant. But the thing is, if it started out as a corn seed, it'll grow into a stock of corn. You know, every year, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just kind of pick on Dan, but you know, Dan, grows corn and soybean. And when he plants corn seeds, he's not expecting, you know, some kind of fruit or something to grow. He's expecting corn and, and that's what he'll get. He plants corn seed, he gets corn. So what it originally was, the corn is still the same, but it's taken on a different body completely. It's completely different. And in the sense of resurrection, you know, you and I, we won't cease to exist. Um, or be reincarnated into something or someone else, you will still be you. However, you will have a completely different resurrected glorified body. I don't know about you, but I'm excited about that. I can't wait. You know, as I get older and as my body starts to, to tear down and I get those aches and pains, and you should see me when I get out of bed. Well, you shouldn't see me when I get out of bed in the morning because it's, it's a scary sight. But but when I get out, I'm like, ooh, ah, ooh, you know, and maybe some of you do that too. I, I, I basically basically moan my way down the stairs and then finally you know after a few minutes I'm starting to kind of I got a little bit of mobility back and I'm back to my normal self again but it takes a while I can't wait till I get a new body I can't wait the older people are going amen brother <laughs> preach it <laughs> the younger ones are like well, I don't know I don't understand you will give me you I guarantee you will <laughs> verse 37 and what you sow you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat 
or some other grain, but God gives it a body as he pleases to each seed its own body. So when you're planting a, your seed, uh, that's not the body that you're expecting to pop out of the ground. What you sow in the ground is not what's going to grow out of the ground. God gives it a body as he pleases. And those of you that are in the medical field, and you know this, and we all know this, think of how amazing the human body is. It is amazing. Modern medicine is still discovering the mysteries of the human body. They don't have it all figured out yet. So if our fleshly bodies on earth, they're finite, and yet, man, they are so amazingly complex. In fact, to the point where even today, doctors still don't, they don't completely understand every aspect of the human body. Things are still being discovered. How much more amazing will our glorified bodies be? Remember Keith Green, you know, the singer? He had that one song, and he would, he would start out the song, and he would talk about how, you know, it took, it took the Lord six days to create, you know, heavens and earth, and, and now he's gone for 2,000 years. So think about how much better heaven's going to be and all that. Well, in a sense, kind of like you think of that with us. How much more amazingly complex and glory, glorious will our resurrection bodies be? Verse 39, Paul says this, All flesh is not the same flesh. But there is one kind of flesh of men and another flesh of animals, another of fish and another of birds. You know, that whole theory of evolution, you know, it's bunk, by the way. Plants and animals, they reproduce after their own kind. My wife appreciates that. I'm glad. <laughs> All right. Yeah, if, if we saw a shark flying around and like on your telephone pole wires or something, I'd be a little, I'd be a little nervous. If we had a bird like that. All right. <laughs> Verse 40. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. What does he mean by glory? The glory of something is that which excites admiration, or to which honor is ascribed. And you know, you can go out at night and look at the stars, and there's this, they're, they're glorious, they're beautiful. With a Hubble telescope, we can get a close-up view of, of things that you can't see through our atmosphere. And it's amazing how glorious... This, the planets and the stars and the universe is. He says there's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. And then he says this, for one star differs from another star in glory. That's an interesting uh, concept. Because, you know, if you go out at night and, and you know, you, sometimes here in town you can't see it too well because of the because of the lights in the city, but you get out in the country and you know the Milky Way and you look at all the stars, they are amazing, but you know, to the naked eye, they all look the same, just pinpricks of light up in, up in that darkness up there. And even sometimes through a telescope, they might look, uh, you know, not that much different from each other. But it's interesting, Paul said this, one star differs from another star in glory. I'm gonna quote Dr. Henry Morris. He wrote this in the New Defender Study Bible. It says, analysis 
of their light spectra reveals that each of them, and he's speaking about the stars, is uniquely different from all others. Each has its own distinctive ratio of apparent brightness to temperature. So each is different in glory from all the others. Interesting, the Bible knew that way back when Paul wrote it. All celestial bodies have glory, but they not, but not all have the same glory. We're gonna come back to that later on in our message here. Verse 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. When he says the body is sown, he's talking about burying a body. Burying, I guess, depends on how you pronounce it. You know, like a seed, you put a seed in the ground and, and a body is sown or it's buried into the ground in death. It corrupts, it decays. You know, in this world, everything is subject to change and to decay, right? Youth's beauty fades. Look at me. Well, I, I think I'm getting better looking as I'm getting older. No, I'm just kidding. But you know, manhood, our strength, our vitality, it's fading for each one of us. We are heading towards corruption. And so we're buried in corruption and death, but the new body is raised in incorruption without decay, without immortality. In other words, we'll live forever. Verse 43, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. First of all, he says it's sown in dishonor. You know, a dead person, I don't care how much a mortician fixes up or puts, you know, does something, a dead person is not beautiful. They're dead. Life is gone. There's something that's just, it's missing. A friend of mine passed away this past, uh, earlier this summer, and I went to his funeral, and, and, you know, looking at him, and I'm like, there's this shell of his body, but man, the, the life is gone. There's something that's just, it's just missing. Not only that, but our human flesh, it's tainted by sin, right? My mind is prone to sin. My actions are prone to be sinful. My words, I can offend, I can say things I shouldn't say. Our, our human nature, when we die, we're, 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 we're buried in dishonor. We're buried in dishonor, but we'll be raised, we'll be resurrected in glory. We're sown in weakness. You know, it's interesting, you know, youth, you know, you, you, as you're getting older and you're growing, you get stronger and stronger. At some time point, you're at your prime in your life and you're, you know, you're, you just, you feel great and everything. Your health is good. But as, you know, as we're getting on the backside of that, you know, we start getting weaker and weaker and weaker. I remember when I was a little boy. You know, my dad, he, he, it was just a fun thing I liked to do. He, he would hold out his arm, and I'd, I'd grab onto his arm, and he'd pick me off the ground, you know, and he would just lift me up like that, you know, a little kid. And I got 18, and he was starting to struggle with it, but he was still trying to do it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but it was fascinating. It's like my dad, you know. It's like my dad can beat up your dad. You know, you had that whole, my dad's just strong and stuff. And then when he was on his deathbed, and here's this strong dad, and I had to change his diaper. I had to, you know, I had to, I had to roll him over. He couldn't even roll himself over. I had to roll him over on his side. I had to put medicine in his mouth. He couldn't get up to do anything. And I would go, wow, here's the man that used to lift me up by the arms, and now I'm, I'm changing his diaper. It's an amazing thing. It's something, uh, you know, it's, it's not fun to witness, but it's, it's definitely 
it's sobering when you realize it. The body is sown in weakness, but that's not the way we stay. We'll be resurrected in power. Verse 44, it is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Our flesh, think about this, and this is one thing that I, I just, I'm excited about this. But our flesh, it's sinful in nature. We know that, right? We're, we're born in sin. You know, even as we're born again, we still struggle with that flesh, that sinful nature. We're tempted. Sometimes we fail in our temptations and we struggle and we sin. And it's like, man, can I ever get beyond this in my life? Well, the good news is when we're resurrected, that old flesh will be gone. That old sinful nature totally done away with. You won't sin again. You'll be there, you know, you'll be worshiping the Lord in his presence in perfect, in perfect, in perfection, I guess I should say, in sinlessness. Nothing, no distractions, nothing. And I can't wait till that. Because, you know, even no matter how much I focus, even in a worship service, my mind still wanders. I still think of different things. Or, you know, it's like that flesh, it's still there. But there's coming a time when it's not going to be. I hope you're excited about that. I am. Verse 45. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. You know, you think about this. Some people have different theories about uh, creation story in Genesis, but here uh, it's an accurate description of creation. There's no pre-Adamic race. Adam was the very first man created. Paul backs it up right here. And he says, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, Interesting, became a life-giving spirit. Notice he didn't say the second Adam, the first Adam and then the second Adam. No, he's the last Adam, became a life-giving spirit. Verse 46, however, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. Verse 47, the first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. So as was the man of dust. He's speaking about Adam. As Adam was created, you know, everyone who has descended from Adam, we're just like him. We're, 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 we're uh, you know, we're born in his image. You're not I don't know. We're like him, you know. We, we bear his image. And our bodies are designed for life on this terrestrial earth. <coughs> I don't know if you know this. Here's a few tidbits of information. At sea level, I think we're above sea level, a couple hundred feet, but at sea level, there's a 60-mile high column of air pressing down on your body at sea level. And it's it equates to about 15 pounds per square inch. That's just weighing. It's just, it's heavy, right? 15 pounds. But we're not crushed because inside of our bodies, air is pushing out at 15 PSI. And so it's called equilibrium. So that's why, you know, sometimes your ears pop. You know, you go up in the mountains and you go, you, your ears pop because there's some air escaping, I guess. <laughs> I'm not a doctor. The doctor's like, oh boy. <laughs> Anyways. Our atmosphere, 
21% oxygen roughly, about 78% nitrogen, 1% argon, 0.04% uh, carbon dioxide, and then there's some um, you know, small amounts, even smaller amounts of other gases. Our lungs are designed for that exact mix of air. Our bodies, right, the internal body temperature is 97.7, anywhere from there to about 99.5 Fahrenheit. In extreme cold, uh, unfortunately we'll be experiencing that here in Minnesota at some point, we have to keep ourselves warm externally to maintain that internal temperature. If not, hypothermia is set in. In extreme heat, in January we'll be praying for that. In extreme heat, we keep ourselves cool, right, to maintain that internal temperature because otherwise we'll get a heat stroke. So our bodies are just designed for a very narrow window of temperature. A very fine, a very narrow window of oxygen, a mix of ga gases and everything. And that's because, you know, so like for example, if you and I, you know, if you were a deep sea diver or you were a, an astronaut going out into outer space or down under the ocean, <coughs> you'd have to have suits. You have to be in a pressurized suit or if you're in a submersible, you know, thing, you'd have to be a pressurized submersible. It goes down any deeper so that you're not crushed by the pressure. Same with going up into outer space. We have to, because why? Because our bodies are designed for terrestrial earth. Our physical bodies, they're designed for life on earth. So in that sense, you and I are earthbound. Our bodies can't go up into heaven as it is right now because they're designed for here on earth. But our resurrected, glorified bodies will be designed and created for life in heaven. So just like Adam, Adam, same mix of air, same internal temperature, same pressure, everything, we're the same. We're like Adam in that sense. But as we're resurrected, we'll be like Jesus. Look what Paul says first in Philippians 3, verses 20 to 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is, e he is able even to subdue all things to himself. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So Jesus was resurrected in his glorified body. When we are resurrected, our glorified bodies will be like his. So what was his glorified body like? That's going to give us some clues to what our resurrection, what our bodies are going to be like. Well, we know throughout the gospel accounts, when Jesus rose from the dead, Mark 16, verse 9, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene. In Mark 16, verse 14, he appeared to the eleven. Mark 16, verse 12, when those two disciples were on the road to Emmaus, it says he appeared in another form. They didn't recognize him right away. In Luke 24 verse 31 this is the same account of Jesus appearing to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus and he's talking to them about himself they still don't recognize who he is they, they he's acts like he's going to keep going and they say wait a minute we're going in for the night why don't you stay with us we'll fix a meal and you can you can stay here and so Jesus goes in there and they prepare a meal and as he blesses the meal they all of a sudden their eyes are open they go it's the Lord and he it says that he vanished from their sight 
later on in that same chapter, Luke 24, verse 36, the disciples, they're in a closed room and, and they're talking. And it says, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them. John 20, verse 19, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst. So there's one clue we have about our resurrected, glorified body. Jesus was able to pass through closed doors. Walls and doors didn't prevent him from passing through. He could appear and disappear. So I think that might be what our glorified bodies will be like. John 20, verses 17 through 19, records when Jesus appeared before Mary Magdalene at the garden tomb. At one point, she's weeping and crying, and then Jesus walks up behind her, and she thinks that Jesus is the gardener, doesn't recognize him right away at first. And then, you know, start and say, where, where have you taken my Lord? And then, and then Jesus says, Mary. And all of a sudden, she recognizes him. And she goes, and she just hugs him and embraces him. And it says here in verse 17, and Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that he had seen, seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. And then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. So you get what Jesus said. Hey, I'm going up to the Father. I'm not yet glorified. I'm going up to the Father. That same evening, he appears back with the disciples. So Jesus was able to pass between earth and heaven and at a tremendous speed. I don't know how far heaven is, but they were, the distance wasn't an issue for Jesus. Fascinating. Our bodies will be like that too. Luke 24, verse 39, Jesus is around his disciples. And they're just like, they're just like, you know, thinking. They're not saying, but they're thinking he's a ghost. He's a, an apparition. It's a vision of Jesus. And Jesus says this to them, verse 39, a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And then a little bit later on in verse 41, it says, but while they still did not believe for joy and marvel, he said to them, hey, have you any food here? Got anything to eat? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Wow, Jesus was eating with them. It wasn't a ghost. It wasn't a vision. When Jesus, before he was crucified, when he was with his disciples and he's instituting the Lord's Supper, he's instituting communion. Verse 29 of Matthew 26, he says, But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So evidently, in our glorified bodies, we'll be able to eat and drink, but it won't be for sustaining life. Think about it. You probably won't even gain weight. You could eat whatever you want. It'd be like the fun thing to Can I hear an amen from anybody here? <laughs> All right. <laughs> amen, man. Ice cream, you bet. Yeah. So evidently, in our glorified bodies, we'll be able to eat and drink, but it won't be like, I've got to eat, otherwise I'm going to die. 
It's just going to be something joyous. And, you know, when you get together with people, isn't it fun to just that fellowship when we're eating together, when we're breaking bread together? There's something, there's something that occurs. That's why we do our potlucks on Wednesday nights. It's to bring the body of Christ together, you know, to have that unity. We're all eating food. Usually we're all eating the same food. So we're all, it's that oneness that we have with another koinonia, basically. It's going to be like that in heaven. That same, but you won't have to worry about, I can't eat that because I'm allergic to it. Or, yeah, you won't have to worry about that. I can't wait for that. In John 20, verse 25 through 27, it talks about how Jesus appeared to his disciples. There was one that wasn't there. And you know the story. His name was Thomas. We call him Doubting Thomas because he didn't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And so in verse 25 of John 20, it says, The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, peace, be t- or, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. So evidently our resurrection bodies will be bodies that can be touched and also recognized. It's interesting. I heard this once at a funeral years ago, and it just, it just stuck with me. It impacted me. In Genesis 25, verse 8, the end of Abraham's life, it says, Then Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man full of years, and was gathered to his people. That phrase, gathered to his people, is repeated throughout the Old Testament. It's an interesting phrase. In Genesis 49, verse 33, And when Jacob had finished commanding his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Numbers 20, verse 24, Aaron shall be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land which I have given to the children of Israel, because you rebelled against my word at the water of Meribah. All these Old Testament people were gathered to their people. I wonder, what's that mean? Well, this is what I think it means. When you and I are resurrected, when you and I go into heaven, you know, we're going to be resurrected. And all of a sudden I think, well, I wonder, I can't wait to talk to Paul. Or I can't wait to talk to David, ask him about that battle with Goliath. What was it like and all that stuff. And, you know, the Bible doesn't say we won't have that opportunity. I'm, I'm assuming we will. But I think we're going to be around our loved ones. It's going to be like a reunion around our loved ones. We're going to be gathered to our people. In other words, you're not going to necessarily have to share a bunk in that mansion with, you know, some saint that lived when Genghis Khan was on the earth, you know. Um, you had nothing in common with them, except for Jesus, of course. No, I don't know. But this is what I do think. I think we'll be able to be familiar. We'll, we'll recognize people. We'll, 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 we'll see our family again. To me, that's a great hope. We'll see our loved ones once more. As opposed to the lake of fire. You ever, you ever hear people that don't, you know, they don't believe in Jesus, they don't believe in heaven or hell, they're just like, eh, yeah, I, I want to go to hell because I want to party with my friends. All my buddies are going to be there. 
The Bible says hell is outer darkness, lake of fire is out of darkness, out, excuse me, <laughs> outer darkness, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's no party. There's no fellowship. Complete isolation. Complete for eternity. Think about that. For eternity. You feel lonely today? Can you imagine? For eternity. Nothing, no one, but suffering in the lake of fire. You guys know the story of Matthew 17, verses 2 through 3. Jesus takes Peter and John with him. This is, and as he was transfigured before them, he's up on a mountain. And as he was transfigured before them, his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with them. I always wondered about that. How did they know it was Moses and Elijah? I mean, you know, they didn't have pictures of Moses and Elijah. They didn't have flannel graph, you know, little, little things from Sunday school, like, you know, Moses has got that long white beard and those two things that shine out of his head and Elijah's and the camel hair and all that stuff. Um, how did they recognize that that was Moses and Elijah? I don't know. But somehow they did know. Somehow there was some way that they were able to recognize who they were. And that's why I think when we get to heaven, when we're in our glorified bodies, there'll be some way, and whether it may not be a physical thing, like, oh, I recognize that person, but there's something, there's some way that we're going to know who each other are. I'm excited about that. That encourages me greatly when I think about my loved ones that have passed away, the ones that had a relationship with Jesus. I'm going to see them again, and I'm going to, I'm going to be in fellowship with them. How wonderful that is going to be. That's a hope that you and I have as believers. We will know each other, perhaps in a deeper way than it is even possible on earth. You know, today, you guys know me, you know, I'm Pastor Don, and I try to be as transparent as I can be before you guys. The, the, the person that you see in the pulpits, the guy that you see at, in, in the house. But to be honest with you, there's stuff that you still don't see. We all kind of hold back a little bit of our personalities. And so you know me, but you don't, you don't know me like, well, you don't know me as much as Teresa knows me, but even she doesn't know me as much, you know, in, in one sense. But I think in heaven, maybe that's the way we're going to, just we're going to know each other spiritually, recognize each other. It's an amazing thing when you think about it. We'll be recognizable in some way. Here's another in, very interesting thing. Verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does, incor excuse me, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Notice that he says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Back in Luke 24, and I quoted this earlier in verse 39, Jesus with his disciples, he says, a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. So he says flesh and bones, but notice that Jesus didn't mention blood, just flesh and bones. Why is that? Well, we know in Leviticus 17, verse 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. Listen, I want to read this to you. Blood is essential to life. Blood circulates through our body and delivers essential substances like oxygen and nutrients to the body's cells. It also transports met metabolic waste products away from those same cells. There is no substitute for blood. It cannot be made or manufactured. Blood is essential to human life. 
We have to have blood. But Jesus said, flesh, or Paul said, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus didn't mention blood. He says, the spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. This is a very interesting thing when you think of it. And I don't know this is for a fact, but this is possible that blood may not be a component of our resurrected, glorified bodies. Something to think about. Because right now, we need blood. We have to have blood to function, to, to live. But our glorified bodies is very possible. The blood won't be in our bodies. We'll have bones, some kind of a bone structure. We'll have some kind of an outer flesh covering, some kind of a flesh of some sort, but no blood. And I think this might point to that. It's very interesting. So in the last verses here, Paul answers, with what body do they come? Oh, excuse me, in, in these last verses, Paul answered, with what body do they come? And hopefully we have a little bit of a better understanding, maybe, of what our resurrected bodies. Of course, none of us really know for a fact, because we don't, you know, none of us are there yet, but we'll know. But hopefully, I mean, I think these are some pretty strong clues that we have of what our bodies will be like, based on what the Bible says. But now in the remaining verses here, how are the dead raised up? How, how does it happen? Now, the people that asked it, or that Paul was assuming was going to ask that, they were probably asking it like, yeah, right, how are they going to, how's it going to happen? But I do want to know, how's it going to happen, don't you? Verse 51, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we should all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. We shall not all sleep. The Bible means we shall not all die. What is he talking about? But he says, but we shall all be changed. What does that mean? To change the form or nature of a thing. In this case, for the better, right? For a glorified body. Who's the we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed? He's talking about the body of Christ. There will be some of the body of Christ who will not taste death. They will not experience death. But every one of the body of Christ will be changed. What is he talking about? I think he's talking about the rapture of the church. That there is going to be a generation, that might be our generation, that will be present on the earth, and we won't die, but Jesus Christ will return, as he said he would, in the clouds for his church. Known as the rapture. And it's going to occur at the last trumpet. Now don't confuse that with the seven trumpet judgments in Revelation 8 and 9 or the seventh trumpet described in chapter 11. Those are trumpets that angels blow. This is the trump of God. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 17. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord." That's, that's our blessed hope, the resurrection, or excuse me, the rapture of the church. You go, yeah, but you still didn't answer how. 
You know, when I showed that image earlier, we can, sh we can observe the, pres uh, the process of resurrection, so to speak, from a seedling or from a seed to a seedling, right? We can we can observe it. You know, if we had a time lapse photograph and we had you know a way to to watch the seed germinate, we can watch that process taking place. But our transformation, the Bible says, will occur in a moment at the twinkling of an eye. Remember, as a kid, when I heard that verse, I'm like, how fast can I can I wink? You know, how, what are, that's not what he's talking about. Think about this. I don't think it's a wink. Remember that song, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star? What, 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 you know, that twinkle, the, the twinkle of a star, what is that? I think, and again, I'm not some scientist or anything, but I think that's when the light from the star hits your eye. I think that's the twinkling of an eye. I could be wrong. That's my take on it. And if that's the case, at a minimum, it's the speed of light, at a minimum. It's interesting. When, uh, I'm looking for the verse. Verse 51, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. That word moment is an interesting word. It's the word atomos. And what atomos means, literally it means without a cut. You can't divide it. And so in other words, that moment, it's the smallest moment in time that can't be divided anymore. You know, you got, you got an hour, you can divide it up into 60 minutes. You got six, a minute, you can divide it up into 60 seconds. You can go nanoseconds, picoseconds. I mean, you can go all the way down. But there's a measurement of time that you, it's like you can't divide it any further. And that's what that twinkling of the eye is. So again, it's, it's, it's faster than the speed of light, obviously. But Well, yeah, but you still don't answer how. You know, it's interesting. Of all the gospel accounts, we're never told how Jesus resurrected. No one was there to witness him actually. You know, he's, one moment he's dead and now he's alive. They only saw him after he was resurrected. And I think it's the same with us. We're not going to, you know, we, we're not revealed in scriptures. It's not, it doesn't tell us exactly how it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. In the same sense that Jesus rose from the dead and then they saw him. And so Paul says, verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. What does he mean by a mystery? This is in the sense, it wasn't previously revealed in scriptures about the church and about the church being raptured. It wasn't, it, there's hints. There's, there's things in scripture you can point to. Uh, we could go and look at a lot of different passages in the Old Testament. We will as we go through Old Testament books that point to it. But it wasn't plainly just out there plain to be revealed, but Paul's revealing it here, and that's the mystery. Verse 33, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The sting of death is sin. Listen, if there was no sin, there would be no death. Because the Bible says the wages of sin 
is death. That's how death entered into human race, entered into our universe, was because of Adam and Eve's sin. And the strength of sin is the law. What is he talking about? He's talking about the commandments of the Lord, the Ten Commandments. It's the Bible says, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Paul even says this, I would have not known sin except through the law. For I would have not known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. So the law reveals our sin. The sin brings death. But he says this, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You may have heard this illustration before. A little boy and his father were driving down a country road on a beautiful spring afternoon. Suddenly out of nowhere, a bumblebee flew in the car window. Since the little boy was deathly allergic to bee stings, he became petrified. His father quickly reached out and grabbed the bee and squeezed it in his hand and then released it. But as soon as he let it go, the young son became frantic once again as it buzzed by the little boy. The father sensed his son's terror. Once again, he reached out his hand, but this time he pointed to his hand. There, stuck in his skin, was the stinger of the bee. You see, he, asked, he said, you don't need to be afraid anymore. I've taken the sting for you. That's exactly what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you and I. He took the sting of death from us. He, he took the stinger in him. He paid the price for your and my sin so that we don't have to die. Jesus Christ suffered the sting of death so that we would not be stung by it. I want to kind of close with this thought here. All of the saints will be resurrected and receive new glorified bodies. We just read that. All, all, everyone. We, we're not all going to sleep. There's going to be a generation that won't die. They'll, they'll be there when Jesus Christ returns for the church. But all of us will be changed. That's a, that's a theme usually for nurseries, so, you know, church nurseries. They sh they're not all going to sleep, but they better all be changed. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but now, remember I talked about how the stars differ in glory? We'll, we'll all be like the stars. We'll all have we'll all glorified, resurrected bodies. But there's different glories from stars. I want you to think about this. I want you to just reflect on this. If the stars in heaven each reflect their own unique glory, you know, you look at the earth. Look at the flowers. and Well, look in this room. Look around the room at each other. Man, we're, we all have, well, most of us, I think. Yeah, we all have two eyes, two ears. You know, there's a few people that have deformities, but, you know, we've got noses and mouths and everything. We all have those things in common, and yet look around the room how different we look from each other. There's, a, there's a, just a, a beautiful diversity in, in humans. And you look at the flowers, and there's all different kinds of flowers. God created this world with so much beauty, and, and there's, there's uniqueness. We're not carbon copies of one another. I think heaven's going to be like that, too. We're going to all reflect, we're all going to be in resurrected bodies, but I think there's going to be a unique glory reflected in each one of us. Well, if that's the case, let me read this verse to you. Daniel 12, verse 3. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Proverbs 30, 11.30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, 
and he who wins souls is wise. And so I wonder if in heaven there's going to be different reflections, different glories. We'll all be glorified. We'll all, we'll all have our resurrected, glorified bodies, but there'll be different amounts of glory. And I wonder if what we do on life in this life matters. And I think the answer is yes. What you and I are occupied in and with in this life matters. If you are seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, if your priorities are first and foremost Jesus Christ and his kingdom, it's going to have a reflection on you in heaven. I really believe that. It will have an impact on the glory that we reflect in heaven. And so, man, I want to be about the Lord's business. I, you know, we talk about the crowns, you know, that, that we're going to be getting all these crowns and, and uh, you know, these rewards that we're going to get at the Bema Seat Judgment of Christ. And you go, you know, I don't, I don't really need rewards, man. Heaven's going to be reward enough. When you get to heaven and you see Jesus Christ in his glory, and the Bible says we, we just lay down our crowns at his feet and say, you're worthy. I'm going to lay down whatever crowns I have, and I'm going to go, oh, man, I wish I had 50,000 more crowns to lay down at his feet because he's so worthy of it. I'm going to want to, I want to, I'm going to want to have so many rewards to say, Lord, this is all for you because you died for me and lived again. And, and uh, this is all for you. So yeah, you're going to want rewards in heaven. You're going to want to reflect as much glory as you can in heaven. Well, how do we do that? By being wise in this life, by using the most of our life, by having our priority focused on the Lord and his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All that other stuff, man, it, it's, it's going to be taken care of. It'll be added unto you. But seek Christ and his kingdom first and foremost in your life. That's how you're going to have the most, I believe, glory reflected in heaven. So in conclusion, we talked about the reality of the resurrection. We talked about the relevance of the re resurrection. And now we've talked about our resurrection. And hopefully you're leaving here with a little like, man, I think I understand a little bit more. I'm excited. Well, Paul ends this chapter so fittingly with this, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. Be steadfast. Be strong. Be immovable. What, what, what would move you from your faith in Christ Jesus? Well, if I, you know, if I had a total calamity in my house or, you know, my, you know, I lost all my income. And if, if I was, if I had to go bankrupt, man, that would be the last straw. Or if I get some terminal disease, I mean, God doesn't love me or anything. Man, be immovable. Will anything move you? Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Man, and make him your priority, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What you and I do in this life for God, it matters. It matters. Amen. Why don't you stand up? Heavenly